You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. What is up, everyone? It is time for another edition of Colch Nero Chat, a Tuesday afternoon slash Tuesday night edition. I'm Jeremy, joined by a first-time guest on the show, a uh, new friend of the show, Alex Fitzpatrick. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Alex is a Mallorca-based journalist working with La Liga. Uh, talk to me about some of the other stuff you're involved in and uh, give our listeners anything you want to plug. Yeah, so the main the main work that I do at the moment is um, through it's, it's the Spanish Segunda show, uh, focusing on the second division in Spain, so uh, the, the level below La Liga. Um, we do a weekly podcast. We have a, a Twitter account which is at Segunda Spanish, uh, where we cover and, and look, you know there's some huge teams down there. Um, in in the Segunda, you know it's it's a little bit of a graveyard of some some big sides and and. Some big sides have actually dropped out of the bottom of it as well in, in the last couple of years. Deportivo and, and Malaga are currently bottom of the league in the Segunda. So, uh, you know, some, some huge teams in there, but also a league that has future stars of uh, Spanish football who are learning their trade. So, uh, Atleti had a couple of uh, loadies out in, in Segunda last year. Yep. Uh, Sergio Camillo, I, I, I believe, and... Um, uh, another another one whose name yeah uh, Roro Riquelme Riquelme Roro Riquelme of course how can I, how can I forget him both <laughs> both that uh, Mirandes um, so you know this is it's the league really where the top Spanish teams that don't have their B team in the second division in Spain they send their best players to prime them and prep them and get them ready so yeah I, I cover all that on my podcast at Segunda Spanish uh, come and give us a listen yeah that, that's Definitely, um, probably in in the English language, the only such resource that we have. So definitely uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for any new shows uh, from the Segunda Spanish uh, podcast. Uh, A quick Segunda roundup, Alex, if we could. Uh, Alavesta currently top. Uh, Borgos have taken a lot of the headlines for that lengthy shutout streak that they had. But what are some of the other uh, stories and, and narratives going on in the fascinating world of Segunda right now? 
Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the one that I mentioned uh, really briefly a moment ago, probably the biggest story at the moment is that Malaga, one of the biggest yeah. clubs in, in Spain, are rock bottom mm. of Segunda and really struggling, really struggling. There's six points from safety and there is a big chance that they go down. They've changed their coach already this season and that's not having any effect either. So they're definitely, uh, definitely in trouble. Uh, Las Palmas have been on a terrific run over a 20-game uh, unbeaten run going into last season as well. If you don't count the playoffs, of course, they lost uh, in the playoff final to, to um, sorry, in the playoff semi-final to Tenerife, their, their island neighbours. Um, so they, they've been on a terrific run and they've just lost their first game and then they've lost two in a row and, and drawn the third game. So three games in a week and, and since... They popped that bubble. They've really fallen a little bit. Um, some big teams, uh, formerly famous teams from, from La Liga, looking to get back up there. Levante, who relegated last year. Abar, I think, who everybody everybody loves. Um, Granada, who just before we came on air to record, they sacked Aitor Carranca oh, wow. this evening. So, uh, so he's out the door and they'll have a new coach. Uh, coming in soon but a big one I suppose with some quite a topical one as well because of the PK link is uh, Andorra uh, Andorra promoted uh, their, their own by Gerard PK the, the uh, Barcelona legend and they were promoted to Segunda last season and uh, are doing really really well uh, they're currently sitting in, in 10th position just four points off the playoffs it certainly isn't a relegation battle for them and, and you know they are out footballing sides left right and centre in that division and a little bit like Kike Setien at Villarreal they're, um, they're, they're getting the, the, the possession for sure over other teams but um, the difference being that more often than not Andorra are getting a goal as well which <laughs> obviously Setien at uh, Villarreal is, is not managing at the moment so yeah loads going on in Segunda um, at the moment and uh, it's 42 match days plus the playoff system. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. The season goes on forever. And yeah, as you mentioned, some really big teams down there. Uh, Zaragoza are toward the bottom of the table as well. Malaga being rock bottom is just really sad. There's a lot of history in that club. So we'll see if they can or can't turn it around, Alex. But uh, one team that escaped Segunda's clutches a couple of seasons ago, now in La Liga for the second year running, is the team you primarily cover. Mallorca. Um, they weren't really expected to stay up last season, but somehow made it through to the other side. And under Javier Aguirre, they're doing very well uh, this season, currently sitting 12th place, uh, not too close to the relegation fight. It's, they seem to have a, a happy medium. They're comfortably 12th, I would say. Uh, talk to me about how Aguirre, a former Atleti coach, has transformed this team uh, and what we have seen from them, especially in recent games uh, with the 5-4-1 formation how they've been playing yeah well as you say he came in towards the end of last season Luis Garcia Plata was sacked as coach and, and Aguirre was the man to come in he's got a lot of experience of fighting relegations and the big issue that Mallorca had last season and in fact the prior season that they'd had in La Liga under Vicente Moreno as well uh, two years prior to that was conceding goals uh, in those two seasons, they conceded over 100 goals combined uh, and, and you're just going to struggle to stay in La Liga if you do that. So the first thing that Javier Aguirre did when he took over from Luis Garcia Plata was he, he uh, in fact, he did it after Mallorca lost, I think it was 6-2 to Granada. At first, when he came in, he he kind of persevered with what the team had and tried to, to have a look at what was going on and see if he could improve it in the shape that it was in and, and following the 6-2 defeat to Granada he decided to switch to that uh, 5-3-2 formation uh, with, with wing-backs with an extra central defender in there and that gave Mallorca the solidity and the, the defensive uh, platform on which to, to be able to attack and um, gave the team the confidence as well to be able to to, to go out and get points in, in the stretch towards the end of the season. And he's continued that into, um, in, into the new season, uh, still playing with that same 5-3-2 formation. Um, a little bit, as a fan watching, a little bit negative at times. Um, and I think particularly a lot of supporters who I speak to who go to the ground at Son Mosh, there is a difference between the home form and the away form. And 
And partly that's because the the five three two formation and the style that he likes to play really suits playing away from home, where the other team can can be the protagonist, where they can have a lion's share of possession, and uh, where they can then break on the counter attack. And we saw that. I don't know whether you saw it at the weekend, uh, Mallorca's two mm-hmm. 0 away win over over Villarreal, and, and as we alluded to a moment ago, Kike Setien's side having. I think it was around about 75% of possession in the game. But all of the meaningful shots, all of the meaningful chances and all of the meaningful attacks in the final third were all Mallorca's and they all came almost exclusively on the counter-attack and that very much is is the way that uh, Javier Aguirre's Mallorca work. But it doesn't work quite as effectively for them at home. Yeah, that's potentially one explanation or the explanation maybe for why this team has only one win uh, at Samoish this season? Yeah, possibly. I, I think also you have to look at the the devil in the detail of, of those um, games at, at Samoish that, that Mallorca um, didn't win. I think they were a little bit unlucky uh, in a number of them. There was a Wumba goal uh, against Real Betis. They lost lost 2-1 on a central yeah. defender who's never scored a goal before in his career. In fact, uh, his name escapes me, but I think he scored in El Gran Derby uh, this weekend as well. Um, he you know, popped up and smashed the ball in from 30 yards right into the top corner. So Mallorca lose a point there. Uh, against Girona, they went ahead with 10 minutes to go and then rather than do the Javier Aguirre thing and shut up shop, they got caught themselves on the counter-attack. So uh, two points thrown away um, in in that one. Uh, A draw against Elche with a couple of red cards thrown in. So, you know, a lot of these games, same against Espanyol, sorry, you know, a a 1-1 draw against, um, against Espanyol after taking the lead. So, and I think a lot of Mallorca fans would also point at the fact that they feel very much that they've been quite hard done to by refereeing decisions, mm. by VAR decisions, um, particularly if, you know, the most recent home game against Espanyol, the 1-1 draw, there was a clear penalty um, in, in the final moments of the game, which um, apparently was looked at by, uh, by by the VAR and, and they said no, no, no they got the ball they got the ball but when you go back and you look at it in, in any level of detail they didn't and, and that would have been a penalty in stoppage time to win the game for, for, for Mallorca so you know I think um, I think Mallorca are probably a little bit under par in terms of um, you know I haven't got the stats in front of me but if you looked at expected goals um, at home in their, in their games and, ex- and then expected points in, in their home games I think that they probably, I think they've got five points from six games. I think they're probably well under par of where they should be mm. based based on their performances. So uh, there is a little bit of luck or lack of luck for Mallorca at some mosh that, that's come into play. And really, when you look at the table as well, you said a minute ago, Mallorca sitting 12th, five points clear of the relegation, a very nice place to be after 13 games. Um, and at this moment in time, seven points, I think it is, behind the, the top six, behind those European places. And actually, Mallorca are probably three or four, you could argue even five or six points short of where they should be based on some of those incidents that have happened in, in home games. So it's looking great at the moment for Aguirre's Mallorca, but it could be looking even better Spanish referees gotta love him everyone's got a gripe with him <laughs> everyone uh the, the stat I saw last night was like there have been over 50 red cards issued this season no other league has like had over 30 issued or has yeah. even gotten to 30 yeah, it's crazy it's crazy and, and the yeah. thing that the, the Spanish referees love more than anything and Mallorca have fallen foul of this is they love to send off a player or a coach on the bench. Oh, love it. They That's, love that. <laughs> you, you see that all the time. All yep. the time. They go steaming across, send a player or a coach off from the bench. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure there are things that are said from the bench which wouldn't be said if they were on the pitch, and, and, and that's fine. Uh, but Javier Aguirre has, has just been serving a uh, touchline ban. He wasn't on the touchline for the game on the weekend against Villarreal because he was sent off in that Espanol game, in that game where there was the controversy over the penalty that we were just discussing. Um, and following that, there was the, the sending off of, of Pablo Maffeo, um, who was on the bench at that time, he'd been substituted out. 
um, and Javier Aguirre, and they both um, are, are under under a ban. And the club actually posted, uh, Mallorca posted a video on their social media showing the, the, the 20 or 25 seconds prior to the sending off and then the, the actual sending off. And there was absolutely nothing that uh, the manager did which would lead for a referee to, to send him off. And, and, and actually what was written in the report was that Aguirre had protested one of his decisions outside of the technical area. And Aguirre said, okay, if I was out of the technical area, that's fine. But protesting one of his decisions is an absolute lie. I did not protest one of his decisions. Uh, obviously, in the video that the club posted, you can't hear what's been said, but his manner is incredibly calm. He's having a conversation with the fourth official who politely asks him to return to his technical area. He returns to his technical area, uh, turns to face the bench, speaks to the bench for a minute, uh, and, and then when he turns right back round to the field, the um, the referee is running across to him with a red card, and, and he doesn't seem to know why. And he's gone as far actually as to say that what was put in that referee's report was a lie. Um, and, and I mean that's <laughs> that's quite an extreme thing to say. And, and, and one of the things that I have to say for Javier Aguirre is that. He is honest. He is brutally honest at mm -hmm. times. Um, he is such a character, but he is uh, he is honest. And, and if if he had said something, he would be the first one to say, "Yeah, okay, I've said something there. I was out of line." So, listen, strange things, as you say, happen with Spanish referees, and um, you know, fortunately, it didn't impact Mallorca on the weekend as they uh, they still got that victory. Maybe maybe Aguirre needs to stay in the stand for a, a few games more if we're going to win <laughs> uh, away at Villarreal like that. Well, Atletico also had uh, a couple of refereeing controversies at the weekend against Espanyol. Uh, Atleti were able to play a man up for over an hour and still failed to uh, beat Diego Martinez's team at home. Uh, entering this game, they're on a four-game winless run, and that's not great news from the Atletico point of view that they are likely going to be seeing a five-man back line, potentially as many as seven, eight players in uh, in the penalty box. Um in, in the area, that's not great news for a team that has consistently struggled to break down medium to low blocks throughout this season, uh, and more than occasionally uh, during Simeone's decade plus in charge. But the it's coming to sharp relief this season with the decline in results, the European eliminations, the vibe around Atletico is is not very good at the moment. And Mallorca are on a three-game unbeaten run. Uh, the latest result, obviously, that two-nil win away at the Ciutat de Valencia against Kike Setien's Villarreal, which featured uh, another goal, Alex, by Vedat Murici. Tell me about this guy. Uh, seven goals this season. He has been kind of like a godsend since his arrival on loan in the second half of last season. Yeah, this man really, uh, as well as Aguirre, is, is the reason that Mallorca stayed up last year. Uh, he totally transformed the way, the way that the team played last season before he arrived the team was desperately lacking in a centre forward of, of quality ever since Ante Budimir left the club yeah. a couple of years ago for, for Osasuna the, the, the club never replaced um, well they, they brought some players in but certainly never replaced the level of quality that, that Ante Budimir had and I think what they've done with Mirike has been a it's been magical for the club you know um, he has transferred first of all he's head and shoulders a better player than, than Ante Budimir he's got a lot more to his game um, than Ante Budimir but not only in the opposition penalty box but in Mallorca's penalty box as well he's been transformational for the way that, that the club and the team defends set pieces attacks set pieces um, and you know you only have to to, to look midweek. Obviously, he, he, he gets a goal, um, getting on the end of uh, of the cross from Gio Gonzalez, cutting it back from the byline. He gets the first goal, and, and then really you see you see what he brings in terms of assists. You know the ball hooked into the box, and and many other players wouldn't really have got anywhere near it. But he not only got near it and kept the ball alive, but he he managed to get a pretty decent knockdown to a Matendai who uh, swivelled and, and, and put the ball with his weaker foot actually in, into the top corner so you know this guy has he's full of heart he's full of battle uh, he's an absolute fan favourite already he's scoring goals he's assisting um, 
but he's more than anything he's everything that a fan would want a player to be he goes onto the pitch and he you know that he is always giving everything you know that it means a lot to him this is a guy who uh, got a big money move 20 million euro uh, move to Lazio and you know to him he would have been thinking this is it I, you know I've made it I'm at a huge club you know potential for European football and, and all the things that that brings and it was a disaster for him and Mallorca was his second opportunity and when he came to Sommash last season he played the way that he did he got himself uh, a move here he nearly didn't make it to Mallorca because of some some well negotiations and transfer shenanigans that, that went on in the summer but in the end he he, uh, he arrived here uh, he you know he said that he always wanted to be here and Mallorca are, are reaping the rewards of having him here and uh, long may it continue because if uh, if he continues to score and assist at the rate that he is he won't be with Mallorca next year but I suppose at least Mallorca will have uh, a few euros in their back pocket um, for the privilege of, of passing him on but you know we hope that he stays because he's so so crucial irreplaceable really in this team if, if he was to miss the game injured or suspended or to be out for a period of time that really would put into doubt Mallorca's ability to stay in the division even after their really positive start mm-hmm. he's the kind of player who embodies the spirit I think that Aguirre has wanted to uh, kind of pass along to this team he, he makes this whole system work um, and he's got so much character and personality and just from a playing point of view Alex I mean he's he's six four he's really good in the air he's a battler he, he's a gamer and he has you know been scoring almost a goal every other game since his arrival and he has had quite a journey to get to this point through the, the Kosovan league to the first two divisions of, of Turkish football to Italy and now to La Liga and a key player, no doubt, for uh, this Mallorca team. A couple other guys I wanted to ask you about. Um, Lee Kangin, is he finally having the breakout season that he's been tipped to have for since he was playing at Mestaya? It looks like he's having quite a good season. Yeah, he's got the confidence of his coach. And I think at Mestaya, he never really had the confidence of... of the coach across a, a number of coaches. A number of coaches, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I think last season I was a big critic of him. And the reason I was a big critic of him was his decision-making. And he really needed to have some coaching on his decision-making. But also last season for Mallorca, and I think whilst he was at Valencia the same, he was playing in the midfield. And... When you're playing in the midfield, you're playing 20 or 30 metres or yards uh, deeper than you would be if you were playing as he is in this current Mallorca team this season. He's playing as the second forward uh, and he's, he's playing off uh, Mariki. And because he's 20 or 30 metres deeper last season and, and the whole time that he was at Valencia, as far as I'm aware, you're picking up the ball in more crowded spaces. You're also picking up the ball in more risky spaces. If you lose the ball in those positions and if you make poor decisions in those positions and, and give up possession, you could have two or three players that have made a run past you anticipating uh, a counter-attack. And when you lose the ball there, that leaves you incredibly open, not only because of where you've lost the ball, but because a number of your team are out of position. And that's something that I saw quite a lot when he was at Valencia. That's something that I saw quite a lot last season um, as well. And what Aguirre's done this season, well, the first thing, in fact, that Aguirre did is he uh, took Kangin Lee and he took Take Kubo last season out of the team and put them onto the bench and we rarely saw them in the in the final stretches of the season. You know, in the in the final three games when Mallorca really needed to do it, uh, when they got two two victories and a, and a draw to stay up, we didn't see those players because they weren't trusted. Uh, they weren't trusted by Aguirre. They were too open. They weren't quite where he needed them to be. Taki Kubo obviously has moved on and and is being very successful this season with Real Sociedad um, and. Kangin has, has come into a new role in, in this team. 
You know, he can't defend how Aguirre wants him to defend, but he's not in the team to defend. That's not his biggest strength. And and the thing that I like most about Kangin this season is that Aguirre has seen and understood his biggest strengths and he is playing to his biggest strengths. He's picking the ball up in the half spaces in between the midfield and, and, and the forwards and he's he's you know playing incisive through balls and, and spreading the ball really, really nicely. Um, on the counter-attack, generally, when the ball leaves the defence, the first person who's receiving it into feet is Kangin. And then he's sparking the, sparking the attack. Quite often, he's carrying the ball into traffic and drawing two and three and four defenders towards him as they try to shut down the counter-attack. And he's still managing to maintain possession and the counter-attack continues. So... Um, when you add that to the quality that he has in the final third, you know he has been a huge addition, um, almost like a new signing this season because of the way that he's playing for this team. The only thing that's really missing from his game at the moment is goals. If we can see a few more goals for, from him, then, well, he might be another player who we're not seeing at Mallorca for... Uh, yeah. Uh, for, for, for much longer but uh, yeah he's been a terrific addition and the way that he links up with Mariki is, is just uh, a joy yeah it's a dream combination to have there with both of those players in the form two goals three assists for King in uh, this season um, Pablo Mateo is the last guy I wanted to ask you about Alex because he was heavily linked with a move to Atletico over the summer before Atleti eventually signed Nahuel Molina. I think some Atletico supporters based on how these two players have done this season might be wishing Mateo had been signed. Uh, how would you rate him among La Liga's top fullbacks based on his performances the past two seasons? Well, look, Atleti have missed out on one here. I have to say, Atleti have missed out on one. Um, and I think what it what it boils down to is actually the missed opportunity was not this summer. The missed opportunity was the summer before mm. uh, because Mallorca signed him on loan from I think it was Stuttgart, Stuttgart yep. uh, he was on loan from they signed him yep. on loan with a um, agreed price if Mallorca stayed in the division and it was an agreed price of about three three and a half million euros yeah. which for a for a top player is nothing. really nothing but the reason why Stuttgart were willing to do that is because historically at Stuttgart he came with a little bit of baggage now, we haven't seen that at Mallorca. He's fiery. He's got a temper. Um, he's passionate. He cares. He wants to win. He oversteps the line sometimes. He was the player we mentioned a moment ago getting sent off uh, from from the bench uh, in that game against Española at San Mosh. So, he has all of those things. But if he has a manager such as Aguirre who knows how to handle him, who knows how to handle personalities and who can squash him down when he needs to squash him down, build him up when he needs to build him up, but more importantly, understand him as a player. He will and has flourished. He has been so outstanding for New Yorker. It's unreal. Um, he's fast. He's good on the ball. He defends really well in 1v1 situations. He sees the danger and he gets across and covers when his, when his teammates uh, in the back line are in trouble. This uh, wing-back formation that, that uh, Javier Aguirre employs at Mallorca is, is just made for him because, I mean, even if, if Mallorca were playing with a four, he'd still be playing as a wing-back, ultimately, because he loves to get forward so much. Uh, he's good on the ball. He's a good crosser. Um, you know, he is a terrific player. Um, interestingly, it remains to be seen if he gets back into the team uh, for this midweek game. Um, Gio Gonzalez, who, who played in his place against um, Villarreal, assisted the, the first goal and, and put in an outstanding performance. He was man of the match in that game. Um, but in, in general, you know, Mafeo is is a fantastic player, and it surprises me somewhat that he he isn't in the reckoning for an international uh, an international call up. It surprises me somewhat, for sure. Uh, Atletico could have signed him in any number of, of any number of windows ago. Uh, when he was first at Girona, when he was a twenty-year-old breaking through in La Liga, 
when around the time Stuttgart purchased him, uh, when he was at Huesca, even last summer, Atletico had a number of chances to acquire a player like this, haven't done so. And yeah, we're seeing kind of these this change in fortunes because Atletico could really use a right back like this. Uh, now, well, Molina is talented, but he's still quite raw. Uh, I would love for him to fire at an accurate cross every now and then. It's been a challenge for him uh, adapting to Simeone's demands and, and adapting to what the team needs. Maffeo, on the other hand, could have fit this team like a glove. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. I'm curious as to whether you have any insight on how Mallorca are run, uh, how um, the uh, the front office, sporting director, etc., how they have built a, a team that has stayed in La Liga, again, perhaps unsurprisingly, and is not right now mid-table. And also, I'm wondering if you can comment on what reaction there has been, if any, uh, to Robert Sarver, the Mallorca owner, who... Uh, got widespread condemnation, generated a lot of controversy in the U.S. for his ownership of the Phoenix Suns and the hostile work environment uh, that went on in in the NBA organization. So kind of a, a two-pronged question there. Just talk to me a little bit about how these decisions get made at this club and what the reaction is to Sarver's ownership. Yeah, let's start with Sarver. Yeah. Um, he is little more than a name on a piece of paper sure. uh, in Mallorca. He doesn't uh, appear. He he uh, isn't isn't really involved. Um, the structure of the club and, and how it's run uh, doesn't doesn't really include him in terms of any of the day to day. Obviously, they'll they'll be reporting to him as you know as, as a shareholder, but. Um, you know, he, he doesn't really have any involvement at all with the club. The controversy obviously was in the local press, but because of the fact that he has so little or no involvement with the day-to-day running of the club, it really was sort of yesterday's fish and chip paper, you know? It, yeah. was, it, was, it came and it went so quickly. Um, so... Yeah, there was there was really not too much uh, emphasis on that on the island, uh, rightly or wrongly. I mean, obviously the the issues were were huge um, issues, which which were totally wrong and, um, and and obviously should be should be condemned. Um, but in terms of the reaction on the island, the, the local fans they don't really see him as part of the club. Um, he's part of the club, of course, but he's not part of the day-to-day running of the club. And if this was a person who, um, such as Andy Kohlberg, for example, who is the president of the club, uh, if, it, if it was Andy Kohlberg, then it would have been a different story because he's involved in, in the di- directly in the running of the club and he's, uh, he is the American face of the business uh, on the island. He's the one who comes to the games. He's the one that, that, that travels uh, over to Mallorca most regularly. Um, and uh, yeah, if it was if it was Andy Kohlberg, it would it would be different. But uh, Sava, very very little reaction to that. In terms of the the, the running of the club, uh, Andy Kohlberg is the president. And uh, one of the things actually that the American ownership have done since they arrived, when they arrived, there was a guy called Maheta Malongo who is now uh, chief of the PFA, the, the Players Union in uh, in, in England which is a, a, a huge job to, to have moved on to. And he, uh, he was in charge, of, in charge of the club. He was basically the, the sole man running the club um, when, when the Americans arrived. And quite quickly, in the, well, in the very first season, um, they managed to get out of Segunda Bay. They, well, they were relegated originally, of course, but then they managed to get themselves in the first season out of Segunda Bay and then straight away back up to to La Liga. Yeah. Uh, but following that season in La Liga, or in fact it was during that season in La Liga under Vicente Moreno. Um, Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. 
Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Malonga was, was sacked. He was removed from position. And Javier Iglesio, who was the director of football at that time, was also removed uh, from, from, um, from his role um, as well. So um, they, they then made big changes to, uh, to how the club was run. They changed the structure. They had Andy Kohlberg as president. And they have uh, Pablo Ortiz, who's the sporting director now, and a guy called um, uh, Alfonso. His surname escapes me, but uh, Alfonso, who is who is the uh, financial director of the club. So they they now have that sort of mini pyramid, as it were. Uh, Alfonso runs the financial side of the business. Uh, Pablo Ortiz runs the football side of the business. And obviously, the two of them communicate to, to make sure that any football decisions are financially costed and, and all those kind of things, and to, to set budgets, and, and then they feed into into Andy Kohlberg. So that's the main thing that they changed, really, because previously Mahetta Malongo uh, was kind of the tip of that pyramid mm-hmm. and had almost total control over both financial and sporting. And um, what that sort of meant is he did have a sporting director working below him, but a lot of the acquisitions that were made um, by the club, he had a direct influence in through his contacts, through people that he knew in the game. Uh, And that actually is is, um, partly how the Takekugo deal uh, came about at the time. Uh, whether that was a good deal or a bad deal, you know, discuss New Yorker fans would would uh, have a good debate on that one between <laughs> themselves. Um, but you know, the club is now run in a modern and professional manner with experts uh, in in their field heading up the two departments and uh, feeding that information essentially for approval into the board and into into Andy Kohlberg. And the result that we're seeing is uh, unprecedented really in Mallorca's history in, in terms of um, obviously they've not reached the heights of the Champions League and finishing second in, in La Liga as they did all those years ago but um, you know in terms of the trajectory that they're on you know the promotion from Segunda Bay the promotion from Segunda yes relegated the following year but promoted uh, immediately after so three promotions in four years and then managing to, to stay in La Liga last season and this season so far so good um, not only that but also uh, increasing the quality of the squad um, getting valuable players like Mariki, like Maffeo like Kangin into property and into their ownership rather than just being lone players and those, those are assets now for the club and that will only help the club to, to continue to build. And so long as they continue to recruit well, and there's the caveat, uh, so long as they continue to recruit well, um, they, they, will, they will be um, continue to be successful. All good vibes, all good feelings. It seems like at Mallorca at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, not the same at Atletico. Uh, things have not gone, certainly in Europe, according to plan. Still third kind of amazingly, in La Liga after the uh, draws in San Sebastian and at the Via Marín this past weekend. But who knows how long that's going to last. A, a winless and four entering this match against a, a Mallorca team that is certainly relative to Atleti in form right now. How do we think this game is going to go tomorrow night, Alex? Uh, I wouldn't be backing many goals. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I think... Um, uh, there you go, but you know, football's football's funny old game, isn't it? You know, you, yep. you look at a game and you go, Atleti not renowned for high scoring games. Mallorca certainly this season under Aguirre not renowned for, for high scoring games, but um, we'll we'll see. I think it's it's going to be 
you know, when you, you obviously watch uh, all of Atleti and I watch very little in comparison, but, you know, if you have a team that is a little bit cautious in attack for their for the qualities that they have, which are, uh, is how I would describe Atleti, uh, co- correct me if, if that's an unfair yeah, description. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So when you, I think when you have a team who's cautious in attack, playing a team who's going to play with five at the back and wants to play uh, uh, on the counter-attack. I'm just wondering if these two sides kick off and then ever enter each other's halves for the entire <laughs> 90 minutes. You know, uh, you know, Mioka kick off and just pass it around in their half and Atleti's, you know, sit in in their own half and, and that's it for, for an hour and a half. Mm. I certainly hope not because... <laughs> You know that that, that would be a, a very disappointing game for me to, to travel to and watch. But yeah, I think it's probably not going to be a high scorer. Um, I think that we we could see one goal either way win it. And um, I think that what we're probably going to see we got a Cholo side against an Aguirre side. I think we're going to see passion. I think we're going to see a little bit of controversy, and uh, you know, I think there's there's potential for for a fiery game. Uh, I certainly think, you know, I think Cholo will be saying to his players, "Listen, you need to go and match them, uh, match them or better them in that sort of fight department." Um, so, you know, I, I think all those things considered, it will be an interesting game. It will be a dramatic game. I'm not sure that it will necessarily be. A game for a neutral, or a game for certainly a game for a purist that wants to see, um, you know, high pass completion and and uh, you know nice triangles of, of football played. But um, it'll definitely be an interesting game. Yeah, it's going to finish four three to Atletico. <laughs> right as we get done saying this, prepare for a goalless draw or one nil either way. It's going to be a seven goal thriller. I'll take a six goal thriller and three all. <laughs> It's going to be interesting, and I think you're right. It'll be a really intense game, a really fiery game. Uh, and Atletico will be missing Joao Felix and Jose Jimenez through suspension. Koke and Saul expected to come back into the squad, at least one of them expected to start. And, and for Atleti, all eyes are on domestic competition this season, uh, in a uniquely compared to previous seasons with no European commitments in the second half of the year. It's all about getting results in La Liga, and especially in the Copa del Rey. Uh, which begins this weekend. So we'll see how Simeone uh, sets up his team. I think he has used a different starting 11 in literally every game this season, which he's been asked about in a number of press conferences. And he said, he keeps saying, well, Real Madrid do this all the time. Barcelona do this all the time. Why don't they get the criticism? Uh, which which is an interesting response. Uh, so... I, well, I, I, I suppose you can, you can change as many players as you like if you keep winning. Yeah. And so Atletico have not been winning. When you don't get the results. Yeah, and Atletico have not really been doing that. Uh, five wins away from home in La Liga, though, for Atletico. Uh, Mallorca just stuck on the one home win this season. Obviously, we discussed about the devil being in the details in some of those games. So that's also a stat to keep an eye on. But Atletico could really use three points here. And Mallorca did the double over Atleti last season. Alex, we haven't even mentioned that yet. <laughs> the two games last season were just from the Atletico point of view, dreadful to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to remember the home game, to be honest. I remember the away game very well, but I'm, I'm struggling to remember the home game. Uh, you know, the away game was the Take Kubo. Yep. Uh, it was it was ahead of the first goal, wasn't it, to equalise. I think Atleti went ahead, and then uh, I think it was Rayo scored with a with uh, Rayo or, or Russo, uh, one, of them, one of them scored. Was it, I think it was Russo. Russo. Was it Russo? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the, the, the counter-attack in the... In the dying seconds of the game, I think, wasn't it? Take Kubo, I believe, off the bench and, uh, yeah, just went one-on-one and he looked like he, he well, he had almost a length of the pitch to, to, to run. And he did it. Um, and, and he had plenty of time to think about it and uh, managed to get it through, I think, through Jan Oblak's legs in the end for the for the winner. And, yeah, that was an incredibly unexpected one. I don't remember the game at Sun Marsh so much, though. Uh, it was it was a dreadful. It was a bore. Uh, Reynildo gave away a penalty about 25 minutes from time. I think it went to VAR. Uh, Murici stepped up and buried it, and that was the only goal. Yeah, really, definitely not a memorable one. I don't blame no. you for not remembering that'd, that one. That'll be why I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> not much to write home about. Uh, Mallorca have not beaten Atletico three in a row since the 1990s when uh, they obviously had a pretty good team finished 
It, it was second in La, in La Liga, wasn't it? He played in the Champions League, had a, a number of, of really talented players, including a young Samuel Eto'o at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the history that the, that the team has uh, is incredible. You know, they unveiled a um, a mural to in honor of Samuel Eto'o when he was there when when New Yorker played Barcelona last season. Yep. Um, and it's it's kind of I don't know. It's, it's about forty meters high. This uh, this mural of, of Eto'o's face, and he's yeah, he's very much a, a folk hero of of New Yorker. I think Mallorca fans at one stage were were hoping that he would come back to Mallorca. He he did say he would always come back to Mallorca, but it never uh, it never transpired. But uh, yeah, they had they had a a legendary a couple of legendary teams actually. You know, they they were winning the Copa del Rey um, at one point, and another point they were doing well well in the league and finishing um, and getting into the the European spots. Uh, and another time in their history, they got to the Cup Winners Cup final in 1999, the final um, the final edition of that competition before they, uh, they they stopped to that competition. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of history in Mallorca, and I think what the current um, what the current ownership are trying to do is bring back those good times. You know, they're, they're almost it almost feels sometimes as if there's a little bit of a ceiling in between the, the top six or seven in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the league and, and the rest and there's a bit of a buffer there and penetrating that buffer and managing to to make it into those European spots is is seen a little bit as as well almost impossible um, but I, I do think that possibly possibly you know um, we're going to see in the next couple of years with the Champions League money for a few sides in the league reducing because of their results in the Champions League this year. The TV money uh, across the last few years for sides outside of the Champions League has been increasing because of the, the change in the TV deal that, that means it's shared a little bit more equally than it, it was uh, previously. The CVC money, of course, which will prop up teams a little bit more to allow them to, to, to develop themselves. So, you know, I, I think that there's opportunities for clubs such as Osasuna, uh, such as Rayo, such as Mallorca, to really knock on that door and and perhaps you know do do what Hetafe managed to do and, and finish in a in a position that earns them a European spot and um, you know see where see where they can take it from there and that's I guess that's the dream for a, a club of the size of Mallorca. Um, you know, I think gone are the days where Mallorca can finish second in the league with the money that, that the big two plus uh, yourself have with the way that Sevilla are currently run, um, although it's not going so well for them this yeah, year. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with, with the way that Betis are, are doing under, under Pellegrino. Um, you know, they'll Sociedad just keep churning out these brilliant footballers and, and you know... Um, their transfer dealings have been good as well. Same with Villarreal on both fronts. The the, the academy, they, they have a B team in the Segunda now. So it is really difficult to break into that top six or seven. Um, but that's the dream for, for a club like New York and now get a little bit of European football. It, it feels kind of impossible, at least very unlikely, to see a team like Depor ever win the league again, right? Or see a team like Real Sociedad finish second and break up the duopoly. Or you know, Betis finished in the top three. My, you know, Mallorca finished in the top three twenty plus years ago. Uh, but you never know. As Rio showed us, they've shown us throughout this season, but especially last night by beating Real Madrid. Rio were only a few points off a of European place. You just never know. Uh, and it takes a really well-run club that knows what it's doing, uh, a coach who has a clear plan, uh, and Mallorca certainly have those as well. So this game tomorrow night will be very interesting and a bit of a measuring stick for both of these teams. Um, anything else you want to add, Alex, before we, we sign off? No, I just think the, the, this, this is the last thing really for me about tomorrow night is it's quite an important game for both sides in, in terms of it's the last La Liga game before the World Cup. Yep. There's going to be a break until, I think they return on New Year's, New Year's Eve. Day or New Year's Eve or something like that. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a break of about six or, where are we now, seven weeks maybe. 
Uh, obviously, there's the Copa del Rey for, for some clubs on the weekend as well. Um, but this is the last La Liga game. And it's important from that perspective to go into the break in a positive manner. You know, you talked about the fact that, that, that you know, Mallorca are on the, the run that they're, they're on at the moment, um, two wins and a draw in the last three games. If they can stay unbeaten going into the Christmas break, then that Christmas dinner is going to taste very different from how it might taste if they suffer a defeat, and particularly if they suffer a painful defeat um, going going into that, that Christmas break. And I suppose from an Atleti point of view, if Atleti were to lose tomorrow night, I just wonder whether there might start to be... There are already questions, aren't there, about uh, Cholo and whether or not yeah. he should continue. And, and there were last season. But I, I just wonder whether a defeat going into this Christmas break might be the final nail in his coffin and it might spell the end for him because it gives the club a significant amount of time to recruit and then a coach a significant amount of time with not all of the players, but a number of the players to prepare for that, um, that first game at the new year yeah it could be decisive from that vantage point as well I mean, obviously there are a lot of questions about Simeone at the moment it's fair to say he's a rather embattled coach uh, more than at any other point in his miraculous decade plus long tenure on the Atletico bench and there's a lot of speculation that this very well could be the end uh, this season could very well be the last one uh, he on which he is you know, roaming the touchline, pacing along the technical area. So it, it's hard to say right now. There's still more than half a season to go after the World Cup, but you know, the, the vibes aren't great. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say that the vibes aren't great. And another loss uh, before the World Cup against Mallorca would that would be very tough to take. But we will, we will see what happens. Uh, you know, football, bloody hell. You know, football is an amazing sport. You never quite know what, what you're going to get when you turn up at the ground. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the show. Uh, First-time guest, and I would love to have you back on again. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, yeah, it would be a pleasure to uh, to talk again. Uh, Alex, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Uh, so my Twitter is at MallorcaAlex100, and the A in Mallorca is the A in Alex, uh, it's the number 100, and the Spanish Segunda is at Spanish Segunda. Perfect. Go follow Alex. Go listen to the Segunda show. And you can follow us on Twitter at Into the Calderon. You can follow me at JB Barron. And also head over to our Patreon page for exclusive bonus content and other goodies. Uh, we'll be back after the Mallorca game to discuss it, preview the Copa del Rey game, and then uh, maybe a little World Cup talk. Who knows? Until then, adios. <laughs>